Hallelujah. You can be seated. It's so good to be in God's house this evening. Amen. It's good to see you here of all the places you could be. You selected to be here instead. And I praise God for that. Tonight we are continuing our series. Some of you might think, boy, when when are we ever going to finish this one? But uh, we're going to go actually this week and next week, I'll at least finish on the divine exchanges. But we're going to continue our series on the divine exchanges that took place on Calvary's cross. So far, we've looked at six of those exchanges. And tonight, I'm going to look at two. Glory and acceptance in place of shame and rejection. These are two exchanges that have the power to reunite us to the Father. Two exchanges that have the power to free us from guilt and shame. Two exchanges that have the power to break the yoke of bondage and free us forever from this thing called condemnation. How many of you know there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? Amen. There is no condemnation to those who have been to the cross because there is power in the cross. Power to destroy our past, power to destroy shame, and power to destroy rejection and condemnation. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. Two of the divine exchanges that took place upon the cross. But as always, go to the Lord in prayer first. Yes, that He anoint me and anoint you. I know we've already done that, but I need to do it as I stand here in need of God's favor and anointing. Amen. Father God, I just thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you that there is no God like Jehovah. I thank you that when we have a need, you're able to meet that need according to your riches and glory. I thank you that when we gather in the name of Jehovah, there you are in the midst of us, Father God. So I thank you that we didn't gather in vain tonight, but you are here along with your spirit. And I need your anointing just as I always do, God. I need your Holy Spirit. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I need your touch. 
God, I need your presence and your power. And so do your people, God. As much as I need your presence and your spirit to speak this word, they need your presence and your spirit to receive the word. Because the devil comes to take away the word. The devil wants to snatch this word. The devil wants to keep us in bondage, God. So I pray that your word tonight would find a place just like Pastor Darrell prayed in the soil of our soul that it might spring forth, Lord God, and bear much fruit. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As you are all well aware, we have been on this series, like I said, series of divine exchanges for a few weeks. And uh, because of all of the breaks that kind of have taken place, I want to make sure that we have not lost sight of the cross in this process with some of the delays. And I want to remind us and want you to remember the words of Paul, who said, I have determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. Paul spoke those words because Paul came to a place in his spiritual life. He came to this place in his Christianity and relationship with the Lord where there was nothing more important to him than the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul understood and he came to this place. He understood that everything he needed pertaining to life and righteousness was found in the cross. He wrote these words because he wanted us to understand the same thing, that everything we need pertaining to life, anything that you can have need of in your spiritual life that pertains to righteousness has been, can be found and has been provided for already in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is the devil will do everything that he can to get your eyes off of the cross. The devil and this world will do everything that it can to crowd out the cross or cover over the cross or remove the cross just a little bit. You see, the reality is that the devil understands if he can just move the cross from center stage, which we've learned weeks and weeks ago in this series, if he can move the cross just a little bit, you're on your way to defeat. The reality is we must keep the cross of Jesus Christ at the center of everything that we do, especially the center of our faith. But the devil will do everything that he can to move that because he himself knows the power that was made available at the cross. You see, the devil understands he was defeated because of the cross, and he understands that you were made a victor because of the cross. So if he can get your eyes off the cross, he knows you're halfway on your way. He knows you're halfway to defeat. If he can move the cross out of your life and get us distracted from the cross, he's halfway to defeating us. The devil understands if you gain a true understanding of what took place on Calvary's cross, and you begin to live according to those truths, and you begin to implement those truths, and you begin to uh, make use of those truths, and, and this divine exchange that take, took place on Calvary's cross, he loses a grip over your life. How many of you want the devil to lose his grip over your life? Amen. Uh, There's some of us here today that need the devil to lose grip of your marriage. You need the devil to lose grip of your mind or lose grip of your, your uh, relationship or your business or your finances or your family. And the way he loses his grip is by us understanding and beginning to apply the power of the cross that was provided by Jesus Christ. 
If we want that church, then we cannot forget about the cross or lose sight of it because the cross real quickly is where Jesus took our punishment so that we can have peace with God. The cross is where Jesus bore our stripes so that we might be healed. The cross is where Jesus became sin with our sinfulness so that we might become his righteousness. The cross is where Jesus died so that we might live and have life more abundantly. The cross is where Jesus became a curse so that we might be blessed, blessed God. Going out and coming in, rising up and lying down. The cross is where Jesus became poor so that we might become rich like we learned a couple weeks ago. Amen. And then tonight we will discover that Jesus bore our shame so that we might share in his glory. And Jesus was rejected so that we might be accepted. Please understand before the cross of Jesus Christ... I know this might sound harsh and it might sound mean and it might not sound like God, but before the cross, we were not acceptable to God. It didn't matter how nice we were dressed up. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what we thought of ourselves. Before the cross of Jesus Christ, we were not acceptable to God. The truth is, before the cross, we couldn't look up to God. The truth is, before the cross, we couldn't come close to God. We couldn't draw near to God. Before the cross, we were separated from God by sin. Because all of us, we know, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We we were separated from God because that's the power of sin. It separates us from God. Before the cross, we couldn't see God's glory. We could not uh, touch God's glory. We could not experience God's glory. We could not enter into God's glory. You understand before the cross was this thing called the veil. The veil that separated us from His presence. The veil that separated us from His glory. The veil that separated us from everything about God. There was this thing called a veil that separated us from God. But after the cross, thank God... We now have access to the throne room of grace so that we can find help in our time of need. How many of you are thankful for that access now? How many of you are thankful that you are not rejected? How many of you are thankful the Bible says you don't need to come to God with your head hung down low? You can come boldly before the throne room of grace so that you can find help in your time of need. That's what these two exchanges are all about. And it's what was provided for us on Calvary's cross. We can now, because of these two exchanges, we can stand blameless before God with great joy instead of guilt. Before the cross, we were covered with guilt. Before the cross, we were covered with shame. Before the cross, our life was filled with nothing but rejection. We may not have known it, but our life was filled with rejection. But now, because of these two divine exchanges... We can stand before the Lord blameless and with great joy instead of guilt. And that's a reason for us to give God praise. We can be embraced by God now rather than rejected by God. All because of a trade that was offered, a trade that was made that gave us glory and acceptance in place of shame and rejection. One of the things I want you to understand as I go through this study is that the first two emotional wounds. How many of you know that there is a, such a thing as emotional wounds? When the Bible says that Jesus was, uh, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and by his stripes we're healed. He was not just talking about physical wounds. He was talking about spiritual wounds. He was talking about mental wounds. He was talking about emotional wounds that we all 
can experience in our life. But the first two emotional wounds that were suffered by Adam and Eve after they sinned in the Garden of Eden was shame and rejection. They were the first two wounds, and they are the first two wounds that we will experience emotionally as well when it comes to sin. And I'll show you what I mean, and I'll show you why Jesus had to make this divine exchange so we could get past the shame and the rejection and enjoy fellowship with God. You see, what you need to understand is that shame and rejection cannot be separated. Shame and rejection go hand in hand. And the reality is where there is sin, there is shame. And where there is shame, rejection follows right behind. You can't sin. Now, you might think you can, but the reality is you can't sin without shame taking hold of your life. You can't walk in your own ways and do what's right in your own eyes and grieve the Spirit of God without shame stepping into your life and listen to me church when shame steps into your life rejection unpacks its bags when shame enters into your life you can't help but feel rejected church either by God or by man or by somebody else that's the power that sin has and it's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden of Eden they were in this place of perfection and all of a sudden when they sinned a heart that was filled with joy and fellowship with God, felt nothing but shame and rejection, the Bible says. It was sure to follow. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve hid themselves in the bushes and covered themselves with leaves, all because of sin and all because of shame. And they immediately felt unacceptable to God. The one that they walked with and talked with in the cool of the day, the one that they had intimacy with, they all of a sudden, because of shame, felt rejected by God and unaccepted by God, and they hid. Why else would they have hid? They wouldn't, they wouldn't have hid if they didn't feel ashamed. They wouldn't have hid if they didn't feel unacceptable. All of a sudden, there was something about them that wasn't like it used to be. All of a sudden, there was something about them that they knew stood in the way of their fellowship with God. And it's this ugly thing called sin. And with sin comes shame, and with shame comes rejection. It's exactly what they felt. One moment, they walked with God in the cool of the day. One moment, they talked with God. One moment, they drew near to God. One moment, they felt accepted by God and were intimate with God. And in the next moment, they were covered with shame and rejection. And they hid themselves in the bushes, just like we do when we sin. Why do you think so much sin, or why do you think most sin takes place after dark? Why do you think bars have the lights turned down low? Why do you think brothels have the drapes pulled and and the windows all tinted? Why do you think when someone goes to look at pornography, they make sure the door is shut and the, the windows are shut and the drapes are drawn and the lights are turned out? Why do you think they wait to shoot up and do some of these different things until it's dark? Reality is they don't want no one to see. They don't want anyone to see them. They don't want their wife to see them. And they don't want their kids to see them. And they don't want their spouse to see them. And they don't want their parents to see them. And above all, they certainly don't want God to see them. Because they're ashamed of what they're about to do. You see, the reality is shame steps in before you even sin. That's why you turn out the lights, because you know what I'm about to do is going to bring shame into my life. And I don't want God to see, so I turn the lights down low. And I'm foolish enough to think God can't see. It's exactly what Adam and Eve did. 
They were foolish enough to think that if they hid far enough in the bushes God created, that they couldn't be seen. But how many of you know He's El Roi? He's the God that sees. He sees us when we rejoice. And He sees us when we sin. He sees us when we're on the mountaintop, and He sees us when we're in the valley. And I thank God that He sees us everywhere. Listen, I'm thankful that God sees me when I mess up because He knows exactly where I am to come and pick me back up. I'm thankful that God sees me when I got the lights turned down low because I need Him to show up and whisper something in my ear. I'm thankful that God can see in the dark so He knows how to grab a hold of my hand and grab a hold of my heart and lead me out of the darkness into His light. I'm thankful God can see when I turn the lights out, church. If He couldn't see in the dark, I wouldn't be here today. I'd still be wandering around out there in the world doing my own thing, and so would you. But I'm thankful God can see in the dark, church. But my my point is simply this. My point is, one moment, Adam and Eve walked with God in fellowship with God, and the next they were covered in shame and rejection. And so often we do the same thing. We hide ourselves from God. The Bible also tells us that after they hid themselves from God in shame... They tried to fashion for themselves something that they thought would now make them acceptable to God once again. You know the story. What was the first thing they did? The Bible says they hid themselves in the trees or in the bushes. And then they looked at themselves and they they realized what they had done and they felt this shame and they wanted to cover it up. They felt the shame. They felt the rejection. They felt the separation from the Father. And they had to do something to try to get that back. So what did they do? They fashioned themselves for themselves. The Bible says some leaves. They became the first fashion designers that we know. And they fashioned for themselves some leaves. Listen, please grasp this. They fashioned something for themselves that they thought would be acceptable to God. They fashioned for themselves something that they thought would be able to reunite them to the Father Church, that would make them acceptable once again. They thought that their leaves, they could fashion themselves a garment that was good enough for God. So often we do the very same thing, church. If I could just fashion myself with some good works. If I could just fashion myself with some good deeds. If I could just fashion myself with a little spiritual mumbo-jumbo. If I could fashion myself in a nice three-piece suit. If I could fashion myself according to a, a list of legalistic things that I should do because I'm a Christian. If I would fashion myself with a, just a little bit more praise or fashion myself with a little bit more giving. If I would fashion myself with something I can do on my own own, then I might be acceptable to God. If I drove up in a real nice car, if I live my life in a real nice house, then maybe I'll be acceptable to God and acceptable to man. I want you to understand clearly there is nothing you and I can fashion for ourselves that will make us acceptable to God. There is nothing you can manufacture with your own works, with your own mind, with your own skills that can make you acceptable to God. If there were, it would, it would water down the work of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand and know clearly tonight there is only one garment that's good enough for God, and it is the righteousness of Christ's royal robe. 
And if you and I aren't wrapped in that robe, we're not acceptable to God. Because all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Because there are none that are righteous, no, not one. And because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's why we need the cross. It's why we need this divine exchange, because there's only one individual that can drape us in acceptance. There's only one individual that can garment us in God's glory, and it's Jesus Christ. I don't care how long of a legalistic, righteous list you, you put pen out on a piece of paper. You can't make yourself righteous and acceptable to God. I'm not saying you shouldn't strive to be like God. I'm not saying you throw away the Word of God and just go live like hell and think you can get to heaven. I'm telling you that each and every day you've got to confess with your own mouth, God, I know there's nothing I can do to be pleasing to you. I know there's nothing I can manufacture or put on myself that'll make me acceptable to you. But it's why I stand behind the blood of Jesus Christ. It's why I'm washed in the the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's why I call on the power of the cross today. Because without the power of the cross, I'll fail. Without the power of the cross, I'll die. Without the power of the cross, I'll be sick. Without the power of the cross, you understand what I'm saying? I'll work, I'll I'll live under the curse and not under the blessing. Without the power of the cross, I won't live, I'll die. Walk around with a sick mind and a sick body and a sick spirit. But because of the cross and these nine divine exchanges, please grasp what's available to us, church. It's nothing you can manufacture. But that's what Adam and Eve tried to do. And listen, so many of us try to do that same thing our whole Christian life. We try to put on something that we think will be pleasing to God. When all along Jesus is standing there with this robe that's been washed in his blood and just inviting you to put it on. That's how we're acceptable to God because of this divine exchange church. There's no garment good enough except the one for Jesus Christ. Listen, one minute Adam and Eve couldn't have felt closer to God. One moment they could not have felt more intimate with God. One moment they could not have felt nearer to God. And then in the next moment they couldn't have felt farther away. That's the result of sin. It breaks our fellowship with God. And it brings us under the burden of shame. And it causes us to feel rejected by God rather than embraced by God. And it's exactly why we need the cross. You see, the reality is, and we all have to understand this, when you and I sin, when we do something that grieves the heart of God, the last thing we can afford to do is try to go hide in the bushes. we got to run to the cross of Jesus Christ. The last thing we can do is try to waste time manufacturing something on our own. We need to go to the cross, and we need to plead the blood of Jesus Christ over that sin and let it wash us anew so we can rise up, church, in newness of life. You and I got to go to the cross every day. You and I got to crucify. Paul said, I crucify my flesh daily. You know, you can't crucify your flesh unless you take it to the cross. Every day we got to go to the cross. And when we do, we're confessing our need for the cross. And we are confessing that, God, I can't do this on my own. But I'm thankful that you provided a way. I'm thankful that you may offered this divine exchange and took my place so that now I can have fellowship with God. 
That's what we have to understand. The truth is there are no two greater emotional wounds that we can experience than shame and rejection. And we've all felt one or both of them at some time in our life and not just with God. You see, I'm not just talking about a shame and a, and a rejection that we experience with God. Shame and rejection can affect our entire life, church. You see, there's some of you in this house that might have been rejected by a spouse. There's some of you sitting in this house this evening that may have heard the words from your spouse. I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. I'm moving out. I'm doing this. And all of a sudden, you experience this unbelievable shame and rejection. What did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? How did I mess up? What this? What that? And all of a sudden, you feel this rejection. There's some individuals in this house that maybe they've been rejected by their parents. Maybe you grew up without a dad who walked out on you, a mom that walked out on you, and you've been living your life with this sense of rejection, figuring out again, why am I not loved? What's wrong with me? What did I do? What can I do to make things right? You understand when shame and rejection comes into your life and you don't turn it over to Jesus, you will spend your entire life trying to fashion something for yourself. Every time you look in the mirror, you'll look at something you hate. Every time you look in the mirror, you'll look at something not the way God created it, but the, the way the devil wants you to look at it. You see, that's the power of shame and it's the power of rejection. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that you wouldn't have to suffer shame, but experience glory. And so you wouldn't have to be rejected, but could be accepted in, in, instead. You see, every single one of us at some point in our life have been rejected by someone Maybe we've been rejected by a, a group of people. You know, I know when, you know, especially as teenagers growing up, we've all been there. That popular group, boy, you just want to be a part of it. And no matter what you do, you just can't seem to be a part of it and you're rejected. Maybe, maybe someone here has been rejected by a boss, by a company. You put out application or after application or, or all of a sudden you got fired and you don't know why. That's a form of rejection. And it's something that we struggle with and have to deal with. And even in those areas, please understand me, it is a spirit that's at work there. You might think, well, that's just some natural thing. No, it's a spiritual thing. If you've experienced any form of rejection in your life, you need to take it to the cross of Jesus Christ. So that he can breathe newness of life into that situation. So that you can find acceptance, not just in his eyes, but acceptance somewhere else. If you've lost a job recently and you've been rejected, guess what? God's got someone ready to accept you. God's got someone ready to accept your skills and accept your time and accept your talent and accept your efforts. And it's only going to happen if you take it to the cross. And you plead the blood of Jesus Christ over that rejection. Otherwise, your entire life, you'll be, you'll be depressed. You'll just, you'll, you'll, you'll be burdened by this spirit of rejection. But Jesus made a trade so we wouldn't have to suffer under that church. The reality is wherever this shame and rejection comes from, they both have the power to keep us in bondage. They both have the power to keep us from coming close. They both have the, 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 the power to keep us from coming close to others and even coming close to God. You see, there's one thing the devil wants you to... I don't want to just say one thing. There are several things the devil doesn't want you to do in your Christian life. But one of the main things the devil doesn't want you to do is look up. 
There's one, one of the main things the devil never wants you to do is to look up. You want to know why? Because when you look up, you see God. When you look up, you see the supernatural. When you look up, you see heaven. When you look up, you see your redemption, which is about to draw nigh. When you look up, you get your eyes off the circumstances and you get your eyes off the one that can, onto the one that can change them. Why do you think David said, I, I look up, I set my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help, because my help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. You see, the reality is shame and rejection have the power to keep your eyes turned down. When the woman that was caught in adultery was dragged into the middle of a crowd and Jesus was there, she couldn't look at him. She had her head turned down, the Bible says, because she was filled with shame over what she had done. She could not look up, the Bible says. But Jesus, read the story yourself. Jesus grabbed her, literally took her by the face and turned her eyes to him and caused her to look up and said, where are those that condemn you? They're no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he sent her on her way, looking up instead of down. When the publican went into the temple to pray one day, this man whose life was filled with sin ripped off this person, cheated that person, did a crooked deal here, did a crooked deal there. He came face to face one day with, with his sin, and he entered into the temple to pray. And the Bible says he could not even lift up his head. Because shame and rejection has the power to keep you looking down. You can't win when you're looking down. You can't walk straight when you're looking down. You can't overcome when you're looking down. The Bible says he could not look up. All that he could do was look down and beat upon his chest and cry out for mercy from God. And guess what? The man left looking up. Because the Bible says he was received by God and the other one wasn't. I, I say all that just to let you know God doesn't want you walking through life looking down. David said, you know, David had to stir up his soul time and time again in Scripture because he knew when his soul looked down, he couldn't win. He couldn't experience victory. Shame and rejection cause you to look down. Glory and acceptance cause you to look up. Shame and rejection cause you to do this. And, 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 and you're unwilling to, to receive anything. But listen, glory and acceptance does this. God, thank you. God, praise you. God, I love you. God, I need you. God, come close. God, love me. God, embrace me. That's what glory and acceptance does. Shame and rejection covers itself up. It, it goes and hides in the bushes. It doesn't like who it is and doesn't like what it sees. But listen to me, church. When God looks at you now, He doesn't see you. He sees Jesus Christ. And it's why we are accepted. doesn't matter how tall you are, how thin you are, how heavy you are, how rich you are. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in. God sees Jesus Christ in you. And it's why you are accepted. You see, the sad reality is, good Lord, especially... I, I, please, ladies, understand how I'm saying this. I feel bad for the ladies in our society today because if society bombards the women, anybody with who they should be and dis disregards who they are 
No matter what they look like, no matter what they dress like, no matter what they sound like, the world, the world tells our ladies a lie. You gotta be skinnier. You gotta have this makeup. You gotta wear that makeup. You gotta have this hairdo. You gotta wear this kind of clothes. You gotta have a skirt this short and a shirt this open in order to be accepted. It's a lie straight out of hell. I want you to understand, God don't, yeah, He cares what you wear, He wants you to be modest, but understand what I'm saying. You are accepted not because of anything you've done. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, men, listen to me, ladies. When you look in the mirror, you should be happy with what you see. You should be grateful for what you see. You should rejoice over what you see because you should be seeing Jesus. You should be excited by the fact that, listen, little old me is now the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. I'm not saying that to be cocky. I'm not saying you should be arrogant. My wife will be the first one to tell you she knows I I like me. I like who I am. She, some people might think it's cocky. Some people might think it's arrogant. But I don't ever want the devil to think I don't like who God created. I don't want the devil ever to think that I'm not happy to be a son of God. Or a child of God. Anointed by God. Empowered by God. Called by God. You see, as soon as you question who you are, you've questioned, you question what God did. And as soon as you question what God did, the devil's got a hold of you. you got to let the devil know who you are, church. You are children of the Most High God. And if you want to be arrogant with someone, boast on God in the devil's face. And you watch how quickly he runs. We are accepted because of the work of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything that I am. Not because of any of my great accomplishments, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. Listen, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they felt separated from God by shame and guilt. It's what shame and rejection does. It leaves you all alone. It leaves you all alone. The devil would love for you to be that place. All alone. That's what shame and rejection does. I'm all alone. No one loves me. No one cares. No one considers me. No one understands all alone. That's what shame and rejection does. But Jesus came and made a trade so we don't have to feel that way. So that we can experience God's glory and so that we can experience his affection and his acceptance as well. Hebrews 2.10 actually tells us, listen. Hebrews 2.10 tells us that it was fitting for God to bring many sons to glory through the suffering of his son, the captain of our salvation. It was fitting for God. I want you to understand what this passage is saying. It was fitting for God to bring many sons. And when you, when you hear the word sons, he's talking about men and women. He's talking about his children. He's talking about it, hum, human hu, humanity. It was fitting for God to bring many sons to glory through the suffering of his son. And that was accomplished on Calvary's cross church. I know it may be hard to grasp and I know some of you might not understand this. But listen, it was fitting for God to send Jesus to the cross. It was fitting. 
And if you understand what that word means, it means it was proper, it was becoming, it was agreeable, it was the right thing in God's eyes to send His Son to Calvary so you and I could be free. It was fitting for God to see His Son suffer so that we might see His glory. The Bible is telling us that it was fitting and suitable and right for God to be separated from His own Son so that you and I could be accepted. It was fitting for Jesus to be rejected by man and rejected by His own Father so that you and I could be accepted instead. It was fitting, the Bible says. It was agreeable with God. It was right. It was proper. It was the, it was the proper thing for God to do. It's the trade that was made, church, on our behalf, and we should give God praise because of it. We should thank God every morning that He considered it right to reject His own Son. I I don't think we grasp that sometimes. Could you imagine rejecting your own little child in order to accept someone else? Could you imagine taking your own child that that you love dearly? And I know there's parents that don't like their kids and they'll kick them out and don't care. I'm talking about someone that would give their own life for their own child. Could you imagine that parent kicking their child out of the house in order to receive someone else? It's exactly what God did. He rejected His only begotten Son so that you and I could be accepted instead. Jesus hung on the cross, rejected. Jesus hung on the cross, despised. Jesus hung on the cross, covered in nothing but shame, the Bible says. Why? So that we could experience God's glory and so that we could be accepted by God. Before the cross, we were rejected. But after the cross, we were accepted. I hope you grasp the awesomeness of what Jesus did. I hope you grasp the awesomeness of what God did, church. It was fitting. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that during our journey of faith, that we are to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. How many of you are glad God finishes what He starts? How many of you are glad that we don't have a God that leaves things half done? When God starts something, He finishes it. Look, we might slow Him down along the way. But God finishes what He starts. I'm thankful for that. But the Bible says that we are to look up unto Jesus. Again, it goes back to look up, look up, look up. Don't look down. Look up unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for who who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. How could there ever be joy associated with the cross? How could Jesus ever find anything to be joyful about as He hung on Calvary's cross? But the Bible tells us that Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him, endured the cross and bore the shame. And then it says, and has now sat down at the right hand of God. Listen, the truth is Jesus endured the shame of the cross so we wouldn't have to. You see, the shame he endured was the shame we should have endured. The shame that he bore is the shame that we should bear today. And the reality is some of us do bear that shame, but thank God Jesus bore the shame and, it, and so we could exchange it for God's glory. Understand, church, the shame that, that talks about here when it says that he, 
He bore the shame or despised the shame. I don't think sometimes we truly understand the depth of that shame. I don't think sometimes we can really fathom the depth of that change because we're not living in the time back then. We really are not acquainted with the, the crucifixion. We're, we're really not acquainted with what, what the crucifixion really means. It's not part of our society. We don't really understand it other than what we've been taught. But it's not part of our life. It's not part of our society. So we don't truly understand the depth of the shame that was associated with the cross of Jesus Christ. It was a shame that was only associated with the cross. You see, there were things back then that someone might be ashamed of. But when you mentioned crucifixion, it was the greatest shame that there was. To have been crucified on a cross. There was no greater shame in that society than to be designated to die on a cross. You see, the reality is the Bible tells us he bore the shame and he endured it so that he might bring us to glory. And I talked about because of the hope set before him. I want you to understand that was the hope. That was the joy that was set before Jesus Christ. You read that and you ask yourself, well, what was that joy? What was the joy that was set before him? So often we read that and we think, well, the joy set before Jesus was the fact that he was going to go back and be with his father. That wasn't the joy that was set before him. Some of us think the joy that was set before him was the fact that he would sit at the right hand of his father. That's not the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him, church, was knowing that his work was going to unite you and I back to the father. The joy that Jesus experienced on the cross. Please grasp this. As Jesus was beaten, battered, and bruised, there was a joy in his heart. Because he knew that because of what I'm doing, all of mankind can be restored to my Father. That I won't be the only one going back to glory. All of these will go back to glory as well. That's the joy, Jesus. Listen, how could there be a joy? I hope you grasp that. As he was beaten, battered, and bruised, as the beard was being plucked from his face, as he was being humanly disfigured, church, as he was mocked and ridiculed and spat upon, there was a joy in his soul. And that joy was knowing that when he was finished, that all of those who would receive and believe would be reunited with the Father. His joy was knowing that the shame that he bore would one in, in just a few moments be conquered at the cross and that, it, we, and that we would be able to be restored unto the Father. That was the joy that was set before him. Listen, the cross wasn't all about Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus didn't go to the cross for himself. He didn't need the cross. Jesus didn't leave glory just so he could make a UV and go back to glory. You got to understand why Jesus left glory. He left glory to be rejected. He left his throne room in heaven for one reason. It was to be rejected so that we could once again be accepted by God. That was the great joy that was in his heart. And he did it willingly. You think, talk about love. Talk about devotion. Talk about how much he cared for us, church. From the moment his father asked him to step down off the throne, he knew his sole goal was to be rejected by man and rejected by his own father.
so that you and I could be accepted by God. Please don't forget Jesus didn't endure the cross just so he could sit on a throne. He rejected, he, he, he stepped off of his throne so we could enjoy the glory of that throne with him. Isaiah 53, I'm going to begin to wind this down in just the next couple of minutes, but Isaiah 53 reminds us that he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of great sorrows, acquainted with grief, the Bible says, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him, for he was despised and rejected, and we did not esteem him. 700 years before the cross of Jesus Christ, Isaiah prophesies about the shame of the cross of Jesus Christ. 700 years before the precious Lamb of God even laid his back upon that that old wooden tree, Isaiah tells us about the shame that was associated with that cross. He was despised and rejected, the Bible says. And here's what I want you to see. And we hid... As it were our faces from him. Because the sight of the cross was filled with shame. There's several reasons why the Bible says, and we hid our faces. And I want you to know a few of them. We hid our faces from him, the Bible says, because we were ashamed of what we saw. You see, when you looked at the cross, it was a symbol of shame. It was a symbol of a life that was wasted. It was a symbol of a life that lived unto itself. It was a symbol of a life that cared about no one but me, myself, and I. It was a symbol of, a, of an individual that didn't live according to society's rules or laws. It was a, a, a degrading place. It was a shameful place. There was uh, everything uh, associated with the cross was negative. But I want you to understand, we looked away, the Bible says, because we were ashamed of what we saw. Be- we looked away because our sin... Is what put him there. You see, the reality is sin is an ugly thing to look at. And if you study the crucifixion, and I encourage every one of you to do, if you, if you study the crucifixion, you'll actually discover that Jesus was beaten so severely. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that there, that there was no comeliness or form to him. He was so beaten to a pulp. His flesh was so shredded. His wounds were so deep and open, he didn't even look like a human being. He looked like a blob of flesh. And he was so uncomely to look at. The Bible says we turned away. That's how ugly sin was. And listen to me. It's why his father looked away as well. Because that's how ugly our sin is. It's how grotesque our sin is. The Bible says we looked away, church, because, listen, the guilty can only watch the innocent suffer so long before it turns away. And the reality is every individual that stood at the foot of that cross was guilty. There was only one man on Golgotha's hill that day that was without sin and had no guilt within him, even according to the words of Pilate, and it was Jesus Christ. Yet he hung there, associated himself with the cross, He bore the shame, and the reality is everyone that was around that was guilty could only watch innocents suffer so long before they had to turn away. How many of you have seen the Passion of the Christ? If you were like me, you can only watch it so long before you turn away. 
You can only watch it so long before you put your head down. You can only watch it so long before you cover your eyes. You can only put up with that that beating and the agony that the innocent Lamb of God suffered for so long before you look away. Because the guilty can only watch innocent suffer for so long. And it's why Isaiah said we turned away. The reality is Jesus became everything shameful so that you and I could experience God's glory. Jesus was utterly and totally rejected so that you and I could be utterly and totally accepted. I'm going to close with this and ask you to come to the music because I'm just going to wait and see how the Holy Spirit leads. I want you to understand this. The two weeks ago when I gave you a sermon on how Jesus became poor so we could be rich, the ultimate example of Jesus' poverty took place upon the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that as Jesus was being crucified and before he was hung up, that four soldiers divided up his garments and the four soldiers cast lots for his last seamless robe. It was the last piece of piece of clothing that was gambled for. What that tells me, church, and if you study it, what that tells me is that Jesus hung on that cross naked and bare. Each one of those soldiers made off with one of his only four pieces of clothing and they gambled for the fifth that he had. We don't like to think about my precious Jesus hanging naked on a cross. I want you to understand those pretty little pictures of Jesus with a golden little loincloth and a little bit of blood on his hands and a little bit of blood on his feet and a a little drop of blood flowing from his, his brow is a lie. I want you to understand that Jesus hung naked upon a cross. He became poor. He had absolutely nothing. If you study it, you know Jesus was buried in borrowed garments because his were taken and he was buried in a borrowed grave. He was, he was the epitome of poverty. He became poor so that we might become rich. He hung on the cross. Think about it, church, in complete humility, complete shame. The precious, innocent Lamb of God spread out naked on a cross of guilt, hanging there, bearing our shame and our guilt. And he did it joyfully. He hung there, ridiculed, mocked, laughed at, made fun of, spat upon, and he did it with joy. Why? So that you and I could be accepted by the Father. There's no greater demonstration of love than what took place on the cross of Christ. To me, there's no greater exchange that took place on that cross than what Jesus did right there. He took all of my shame, all of my guilt, all of my past failures, all of my shortcomings, whatever I want to call them. He bore the shame of all of those and said, Father, I'm doing it with joy because I know when it's done, all of these will share in my glory. If you're thankful for that divine exchange, I want you to stand to your feet this evening because we're going to give God a little bit of praise. But before I pray, 
I have to ask if there's anyone here this evening that's suffering from shame and rejection Jesus wants to meet you at the cross Jesus wants to make a trade with you today He doesn't want you to leave here ashamed of who you are He doesn't want you to leave here feeling rejected for any reason He wants you to leave here knowing that you can share in His glory and be accepted by God So if you have that need tonight Listen, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never made that personal confession that I need you, Jesus, guess what? You're covered in shame. And there is a rejection that will take place in your life. But God wants to restore you. If, for any reason, you're struggling with shame and rejection, I want to make the altar available to you. Our prayer team will pray with you. I'll pray with you. And as I pray, if you have that need, I want you to make your way to the altar. Otherwise, just agree with me, church. And let's just receive what God has done for us. Father God, I just thank you this evening, God, for the divine exchanges that took place on Calvary's cross. Specifically tonight, God, I thank you that you took our shame so that we might share in your glory. Specifically, I thank you and I praise you tonight, Father God, that your Son was rejected so that we might be accepted. I thank you, Father God, that you made a way on Calvary's cross to bring us back into fellowship. I thank you, Father God, that through this divine exchange like Adam and Eve did before they sinned, we can walk with you in the cool of the day. We can talk with you and have fellowship with you and have intimacy with you because of this divine exchange. I thank you that your son, Father, with great joy went to the cross knowing that his work would restore us to you. So I thank you for that great work. But God, if there's anyone here this evening that's struggling with shame, they're ashamed of their past, they're ashamed of who they are, they're ashamed of something that's happened in their life, and because of that they feel rejected by man or they feel rejected by you, I pray, God, that tonight would be a night of restoration. I pray that tonight would be a night where a divine exchange would take place in their life and they could leave here restored and accepted. I pray, God, that you would give them courage to come forth so we could pray with them, Lord God, and allow recovery to take place in their life. We give you the praise, Father. We give you the glory for all that you've done for the great exchange that took place on Calvary's cross. And we're careful to give you the praise for it. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord tonight, church? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to let them sing a closing song, but for any reason, any reason you have a need, I'm going to tarry, pray with you, and let you be blessed. But as they sing, you all just be blessed and go in the name of the Lord.